I'm a businessman. First foremost, I want no further conflict with him. You tell him from me that he can live or he can die. Vincent, will you shut up? I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are coming to the end of failed Oscar bait month with the most successful cast of any of any movie cast like fishing cast. Uh, Because this movie actually got nominated for seven Oscars. Yeah, none of the previous films that we've done this month have been nominated, but this one was. So this one was truly failed Oscar bait because it all it got a nibble, a little bite, a little nibble on the on the line. Uh, went zero for seven. This is uh, the only maligned movie in the storied Godfather franchise. Godfather Part Three. <laughs> you know what's funny is I miscalculated. I thought we had already done four episodes this month of Oscar bait. I wasn't really keeping a close count, and then Andy reminded me that we still have one more to do so like to put it another way like you know just when i thought i was out i pulled you back in you pulled me back in yeah uh yeah it's worth noting that this movie grossed 136.8 million dollars and as you said it was nominated for seven academy awards including best picture uh but it is still considered a bad movie and a failure (laughs) yes uh which there are dozens of movies every year that wish they could gross over a hundred million dollars and get seven Oscar nominations, even without any wins. Yeah. And it's, I think that's a lot of that. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about all the reasons, but yeah, when you really look at it in previous weeks, we've talked about like what it was up against that year, but I think it's worth noting what it was up against expectation wise, which is, and these are just the wins. I'm not even going to talk about the nominations, but the Godfather one best actor for Marlon Brando, one best picture, and one best screenplay. Godfather 2, best actor for De Niro, uh, best art direction. Best supporting actor for De Niro. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's, you know why it says best actor in a supporting role? So as I'm looking at it, I just read the words best actor. But yeah, that's why. Uh, yeah, supporting for De Niro, art direction, uh, best director, best music, best picture, and uh, screenplay. Like. It won all of those. So that was like the bar <laughs> that was set. <clears throat> well, and you consider like for Godfather, every male actor in that movie with more than eight lines got a supporting actor nod. Yes. Because Pacino, James Caan, um, I think John Cazale got nominated. It was just insane. <clears throat> yeah. Talia Shire got nominated. Uh, yeah, just everybody. But it's interesting, too, because you can kind of see that the first one got a bunch of nomination, uh, but like it wasn't until the second one. Usually, as we've talked about in previous weeks, like it takes a little while for the Academy to catch up. So it was the second one that they were really ready to give all the awards to. Yeah. Uh, There's also a really fun uh, just note to this, since we're talking about all of this, that so the character of Vito Corleone was the first character that two different actors won Academy Awards for playing. Andy, do you know the second character that two actors won an Academy Award for playing? I believe it's the Joker. It is the Joker. It's the only two times it's happened. It's interesting. By the time you're hearing this, the Academy Awards have happened. So there actually is potential. There could be a third for it to be a third. And it would be the first time uh, that a woman has done it because uh, in West Side Story, there's a chance that once again, um, you know, the um, 
what is that character's name? Anita. The, Anita. Yeah. The, the character of Anita in West Side Story could once again win an Academy Award. So that might and have happened. C- right. It might have. And this could be the first time that it's actually the exact same role. Yeah. Like literally it's a remake of the previous film where these are both examples of like they're different. Uh, you what know, does that say about how good a freaking character Anita is? Anita's definitely the best character in West Side Story. Like, I don't oh, think that's up for it's, debate. It's not close. And it's really fat. Iceman? <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. First of all, name five jets. You're, oh, you're a fan <laughs> of West Side Story? Name five jets. You Na- can't. I was in that play and I can't name five jets. It's like, I can name three. Yeah. Tony, There's- Riff, and Iceman. <laughs> I know that there's a character named Big Deal because that was the one I played. Uh, so we were up to four, but I honestly can't. Anybody's? Name. Does that count as a jet? You know what? I think on a technicality, we named five jets. So we did it. Yes. <laughs> no, but that's definitely. Yeah, she she's the best character. She has the best song. Uh, and what's cool about it is that both uh, both takes on the character are different. And I like I enjoyed them both. Yeah. I mean, Rita Moreno is a national treasure. Yeah. Um. And, you know, is it Ariana DeBose, is that her name? Yes. Yeah. She, I think she's on her way to being a national treasure herself. She she's be, delightful. Yeah. yeah. Let's hope that she, she will soon achieve national treasure status. Um, uh, Cause she was great on SNL and she was great in West Side Story, but we're yeah. not talking about West Side Story. Also, just, about, to, oh, just go to, ahead. I just want to say a quick heads up to both Rita Moreno and, and her that if you're listening, be careful. Nick Cage might try to kidnap you. Because you're, national, you're treasure. national treasure. Yeah. Okay. That was a really stupid joke. That was worse than the other joke I told. Nope. <laughs> I loved it. I loved every word. Uh, oh. I, I'm keeping it close to my heart forever. Okay. So, yeah, but we're here to talk about The Godfather 3, and we're going to try to keep this under three hours long. So, let, we should get back on topic. Oh, also, I do want to say, sorry, this is relevant to the movie. This is not a tangent, but this is because we've done this every time. The thing that w- the film that won that year that won both like, uh, you know, best picture and director and, and was really was the darling of the Oscars was Dances with Wolves. Uh, this Which, is, you know what? Dances with Wolves is a good movie. It's not as good as Goodfellas. Well, that's what I was. I'm glad you said that because that was my exact point, And I think that is relevant to this discussion. I don't think that either Dances with Wolves or Godfather 3 should have won best picture, but I do think Goodfellas should have. Yeah. You know what shouldn't have gotten any nominations? Dick hmm. Tracy. What are you talking about? Look at now in the year 2022, how relevant the film Dick Tracy is. We're all talking about it still. Warren Beatty's never been better. Name one film, even especially as a like a gangster character. Has Warren Beatty ever played a gangster character in anything else? I've only ever seen him in Dick Tracy, so I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to assume not. <laughs> Bugsy. Shit. <laughs> but it's just um, those two. There can't possibly be another one. Another crazy thing is that Al Pacino got Oscar nominated in a year that a Godfather movie came out, but not for the Godfather. He got a best supporting actor nod for playing big boy Caprice in Dick Tracy. Again, we're, we we uh, will never do Dick Tracy on this podcast because it's too good. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. There was a stiff competition. Um, Misery was another movie that got some Oscar nominations. Kathy Bates won Best Actress. There were a lot of good movies that came out that year. That is a good year for movies. Yeah, a lot of classic movies. Also, uh, Dick Tracy came out. But, like, a lot of classics came out. Like Dick Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, no, like, I would say that The Godfather, coming out almost a decade and a half after part two uh feels like a cash grab but i don't think it was well like it, uh, we, we, i don't think it completely was i should say you know who agrees with you francis ford coppola right <laughs> because francis ford coppola has been i i was actually watching because i love francis ford coppola and i love to watch interviews with francis ford coppola and i was watching uh him talk about these movies and he will openly say that he only really wanted to make the first one like he by the time he finished the first one he was like yeah i felt like i did it and he he seems like a director that really likes to challenge himself and do something new so he wasn't interested in making the godfather part two uh and then he very much wasn't interested in making the godfather part three 
And he literally said it, that they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Uh, they offered him a lot of money and he came back and did them. So it is by both, I think, the way he would tell it and the fact that they spent a lot of money to get him to come back. Uh, cash grab, I think, is a fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know who else uh, wasn't going to make Godfather 3? Robert Duvall. <laughs> I love that, like, he just played chicken with the, the with the studio and they didn't swerve. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he's like, all right. Yeah. And the movie's worse for it. The movie would be better with Robert Duvall in it. Every movie would be better with Robert Duvall in it, to be clear. Robert Duvall has made every single movie he's ever been in better. Oh, that's 100% true. Could you imagine yeah. Robert Duvall in Clueless? I thought you were going to say it's the Joker, and I can, and both. <laughs> and uh, I Like, would if he had played Dion in Clueless <laughs> instead of Stacey Dash, how <laughs> much better that would have been? I want to watch a scene where he's using that computer program that Cher had to pick his outfit, for sure. Um, when I go out there, can you call me the Joker? That's my Robert <laughs> Duvall. I've never tried a Robert Duvall anymore before, but like nailed that, it. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Robert Duvall is great. Uh, he is fantastic. And yeah, uh, this movie was missing uh, Tom Hagen in a big way. One of the many things to malign about this movie is the lack of Tom Hagen. Yeah. No, it is for sure worse for it. Yeah. You know who's no Tom Hagen? George Hamilton. I yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I like George Hamilton. He's you know, but he's not uh, Tom Hagen. He, he's not he's, Tom Hagen. He's not a not a wartime consigliere. No, that's true. Yeah, he's no great Santini. Excellent movie that we'll never do on this podcast. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Because I know that this is about the first Godfather, but this is my only chance that I'm ever going to have to ask you about it on the show because we'll never do that film because. It is pretty universally considered to be one of the best films ever made, like American films. It's, I like, I find it fascinating because I really like that movie, but it, I find it fascinating that it's a consensus pick for the best film of all time. But that's a conversation for a different day. That's not why I brought it up. What I do want to know is, how do you think they got that horse head in that bed? Like, because think about that. It's a great scene. We love the horse head scene, but... Holmes is a heavy sleeper. But that's what I'm saying. They cut the, the horse's head off while it, and it was still bleeding, obviously, because that bed is covered in blood. And somehow, because a horse head, I would imagine it's heavy. And they carried oh, it. Oh, it's got to be. That's like a, what? 70, 80 pounds? I'm saying minimum, this is like a four man job to like get this horse head carry, cut off and carried into well, his bedroom. You figure, like, you kill the horse, mm -hmm. you cut off its head. Yeah. Because I assume trying to kill a horse by cutting off its head is way more trouble than it's worth. No, you've got to do that, like, uh, no country for old men. You know, that you like, use cow killer. Yeah. Thump, yeah. Yeah. That's it. I would look if anyone out there is trying to figure out how to do this. Don't try to, like, slit the horse's throat. That horse will kill you. Like, right. For sure. The, the, that's, that's a horse. Yeah. And you're not cutting through its throat. Like, so, no, no you're, you're not. You're, you don't have a guillotine sharp enough. Yeah. Or or the horse whispering ability to get a horse into a guillotine in the first place to But I would even imagine like even if doing the thing, you know, the like sorry, that's the only way I know how to describe it. But like uh the cow killer, yeah, the yeah. The, the pneumatic gun thing. I also feel like we need a trigger warning on the start of the show and I don't even know what to say in it, but like <laughs> <laughs> we talk about some horse murder. <laughs> yeah uh but you know uh but then like even once it's dead it's gotta be really hard to cut the head off i would imagine i guess if you ha like i mean the mafia is a diverse enterprise someone Do in that family is a butcher okay but still i would i would imagine it wasn't easy but anyway so that i don't want to dwell on that too much because you know i don't want to like beat on this dead horse but uh if we can just good night everybody <laughs> but like then they carried it into the room and they they put it in the bed and they the guy did not wake up somehow the bed was wet with blood yeah did they drug him i hope they drugged him did they just know that he was a very heavy sleeper that was like the one rap on him it was like you he will not know Old narcoleptic Jimmy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there, there's that. And then um, the other thing is, 
I, I really felt like because I really started thinking about that and then the fact that the Sicilians go out and buy fish and wrap them up and then take them to someone because that's the they're very literal the Sicilians it's the only way they could think to tell you that they killed your guy is that they go to a fish market they buy two very large fish they wrap them up and they carry them to you to so send that a message that Clemenza and, sleeps with the fishes and what's great about it is they do this and they're really counting on the one guy in the room who understands it because James Kahn is like what is it why are you giving me why fish? is that fish yeah so I have to imagine there's been a lot of times where that message has not landed. Well, it's because they didn't couldn't get a hold of their uh, tiny fish pajamas guy. No, that's I think. Yes. Thank you for saying that. And I totally agree. I think they should go more literal. They should put the fish in pajamas, put it on a tiny bed with a tiny pillow and a little like nightcap and just like really stage it like a diorama. With like a Clemenza doll? Yeah, like maybe the fish has like monogrammed pajamas that say Clemenza on them. Mm. But then actually, you know what? Then it sounds like he sleeps as a fish. Or he's in an amorous connection with a fish. That's what he sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> it's a great Simpsons joke. <laughs> I thought you said that Troy McClure was dead. No, I said he sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> um, no, but... Uh, yeah, so, okay, I figured it out. I'm you, going to SeaWorld. Okay, so one guy's in charge, he gets the fish, and he puts it in the pajamas, and he puts it in the bed, but there's another guy who's an expert doll maker, and he makes a Clemenza doll, and then he puts it in the bed, like, spooning the fish. And so then you would recognize the doll, and then you would see that the doll is spooning the fish. They're both in pajamas and nightcaps, by the way, and uh, it, they're in a little bed diorama. That seems worth the trouble. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a better message. And then it's also nice because you miss your friend, but you can now keep you have the, a Clemenza doll. You can keep and who the doesn't Clemenza want doll? a Clemenza doll? I would buy one if, if just a note to toy makers. It's very niche, but I would buy one. I'm sure that like McFarlane Toys or somebody did a Godfather line and you could buy a Clemenza doll. Yeah. <laughs> what kid? I would love to watch a child play with Godfather action figures. <laughs> that you would come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> I believe in America. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> um. Anyways, back to Godfather 3. So Godfather 3 was put in front of insurmountable odds. Yeah, and uh, like it's funny because it was never going to live up to the expectations of the previous two Godfather films, which are again both won a lot of Academy Awards, are both highly regarded. But it also couldn't have anticipated the fact that it also wasn't going to live up to Goodfellas, which came out the same year. So like everything was stacked against it. Everything. That yeah, means like it, it wasn't even the best mafia movie that year. Yeah. That be all of that being said, I do want to say because I'm uh, we're about to get into it, and I I do have uh, some things to malign about it, which is good because we're like twenty minutes into the show. But uh, I will say, it is easily one of the best movies we've ever watched on this show. <laughs> like it's in the top oh, tier. Yeah, <laughs> like, that goes we, without saying. Yeah, so like just to be clear, it is maligned. I still think it's fodder for this show, but it's definitely. In the upper echelon of things that we've watched for Silver Linings Playback. It is, at worst, the best made movie. The most care and attention paid to a movie that we've watched on this podcast. Yeah, easily. That's the thing. Is like Francis Ford Coppola is a one of our great directors. Yeah, <laughs> like, he is an auteur. Yeah, and so that is for sure evident in this. No, like this, this has to be top five. Yeah. And it's still not good. Like, I still don't like this movie. No, and it's it's funny because so I had you ever seen this before? I had never watched this movie. I'd actually before. never watched the th I'd watched the first two dozens of times, but I'd heard like so many so such you know bad reviews, bad rep for three. I just never bought like the best I heard is that it was unnecessary. Yeah, that's the funny thing is I it had always been the rap that it wasn't good and you shouldn't watch it, and I actually own. <laughs> The, like whenever the like Coppola did the restored, you know, the Blu-ray where he, mm -hmm. he personally restored it. So it was like the Blu-ray that came out 
It has all three movies on it. I bought that when it came out and I've had that for a long time. That came out years and years ago, but I, I've never popped that Godfather three. Uh, no, this was, I, I have the DVD box set, like regular DVD. And I, this is the first I'd popped the third one in as well. Yeah. So it's it, like, I, and, and in that regard, I'm kind of glad because I'm glad I watched it for myself. But I also did come away with it going like, yeah, that was unnecessary. And like, it is not as good as the first two. Yeah, I, I will say, and I don't think this counts as a silver lining, but uh, just when I thought they, I was out, they pulled me back in is as iconic a line as exists in the series. Yeah, no, it's great. It's what that's why it's what I pulled for the beginning, because you have to, because that that is the line everyone knows. And it it did. That line definitely went into our public, you know, just like awareness in the same way that many many lines from the originals did leave the gun take the cannoli yeah uh you uh, sold me out fredo i know it was you <laughs> I, I in my favorite quote i'm smart <laughs> um yeah but yeah this movie was it 15 years later a movie that nobody asked for except for Paramount Pictures. Yeah. And well, it's, it's not good. It's it's interesting, too, because so, as I said, like Coppola didn't want to do two or three and he did them both uh, because they paid him a lot. Uh, it was really interesting, too, because he apparently really like he really fought them on, too, where he was like, I'll executive produce it. And why don't you get another director to direct it? Why don't you get Scorsese to direct it? Yeah. Was one of his pitches. And they would not go for anyone else but him. Like, even if he was involved, they would. But anyway, so like, uh, but the funny thing is he also says, God, how long would Godfather two have been if Scorsese directed it? Six hours. It'd uh, still be filming. Yeah. Uh, but it's fine. Cause they can de-age them if they need to. Right. So, and that worked so well in the Irishman. Uh, but no, it is funny to hear uh, Coppola talk about the process because in a way it's like it's funny because like you said, I mean, it's agreed. This is the greatest one of the greatest movies that's ever been made. But like you hear him talk about it and he's like, they didn't want Pacino. They didn't want Marlon Brando. Uh, they didn't want it to be a period piece. They wanted him to take the book and like set it in the 1970s, you know, and they wanted name actors. Nobody knew who Pacino was at the time. Everybody thought like Brando was washed up and difficult to work with at the time. So like everything that we love about it, he had to fight for. But I thought it was funny that like, so Godfather part two, he says he had to really fight to get it called Godfather part two because they hated that. And then he was like, and then you could see that that became normal. But weirdly, when this came out, he did not want to call it Godfather three, but the studio made him. He actually wanted to call it the death of Michael Corleone. Godfather part three is a better title. It is a better title. Well, it's also I think it's funny because he fought so hard to get it, too. But once you did that, well, then that's you established the pattern. You have to call it Godfather three. Like that's right. you. You made it that we're going to call it Godfather part whatever. Um, but yeah, he actually did because he ended up. That's the other thing about uh, all these guys, because they were all friends like Coppola and uh, George Lucas and Spielberg. They all love re-editing their movies like they just never view them as done. But he I've, I obviously haven't seen that because we just watched this. But I know that he recently came out with a new cut of this it's movie. Godfather Coda. And it's I think actually it's shorter. Yeah, it is shorter. But it's, I think it is called Coda colon the death of Michael Corleone. So he did get it in there somewhere. <laughs> cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And he says that that was like that was him and uh, Mario Puzo? Puzo. Puzo? Mario Puzo. Puzo. For some reason, my <laughs> I went to say it and my mouth did not want to like, but uh, apparently they both wanted the, that title. So I don't know. I'm just mentioning that because that was a thing that I saw. Yep. I'm a little curious to watch that, but I can't for a while because I did just watch the entire Godfather saga in three days and that's too fast to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. We both did that for this and same like it's it's too much. They're too long and they're so... They're so like visceral and deliberate and amazing, but they're a lot. Yeah, I'm going to watch like a cartoon after this. Like, I, 
Like, I, I'm just going to watch Spirited Away again. Wait, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like I need to watch something to reset something my to brain. Something to cleanse. Yeah. Uh, maybe next month we'll do something silly to, to cleanse our palates. In April? There's nothing in April that would make sense. No, nothing I can think of. Anyways, uh, so let's talk about why this movie's maligned besides the fact that it's not the first two. Okay, I have, I have a couple things. Uh, but I'm going to uh, start with the big... Oh, do you... I'll just start just because yeah. I think this is sort of a like a, a big picture thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all you need in this movie is the third act. Yes. Yeah. On like the third act, I think, is the best part of the movie. So you could call that the silver lining. But all the build up, like it, it doesn't really pay off. Yeah, it's it's sort of slow and just not. <sighs> I don't know. It's I mean, it's always going to work against you that you're you have a protagonist who's kind of inert like that. I mean, that is the thing. We love the line. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. But the first half of the movie is that Michael Corleone doesn't want anything to do with the world that we want him to be in, which is like that's a great starting point for a movie. But like 15 to 20 minutes in, he should probably be. Should probably be back all the way back in. Yeah, and it really takes its time to bring him back into the world. He's really trying to be a legit businessman. There's a lot of stuff with the the you know the. I think they also got like really invested in this real world stuff with the you know the, the pope, pope and the the Vatican Bank scandal from the late eighties, early or the early eighties, late seventies. Which I can see why that was like of interest to them, and I can see why it was appealing to to have michael corleone be involved in that of this idea because i definitely think they're going for like he's trying to redeem himself through the church while the church itself is wrapped up in scandal like he's you know it's playing with all those kind of themes but it's just like that stuff really does kind of drag there's a lot of bored me it sort of has that phantom menace problem of there's a lot of time spent in boardrooms in this movie Yeah, I, I love to. I always love watching them count the votes at the College of Cardinals to select the new pope. Yeah, so like that stuff definitely hurts it. Uh, I also can I say this, and I I want to be clear in case he's listening. I love Al Pacino. He he's truly great. But we we all need to be honest with ourselves and just say that 1970s Al Pacino and 1990s Al Pacino are not the same person. <laughs> and I like you watch Pacino in the 70s and I honestly believe that he is the best actor of the 1970s. Like he's you watch him in The Godfather, you watch him in Dog Day Afternoon, like all this he's Serpico. so Serpico. He's so good. It's this very subtle, very brooding. Again, he was a stage actor. It's all present and he's He's great, and I really love him. I love him in the two, like, first Godfather films. But at some point, and I'm not even saying this is bad, because, look, I the number of times I've done an impression of Al Pacino saying she's got a great ass from Heat. Like, I do love over-the-top, loud, shouty Al Pacino. He He definitely has a role, and you can use him well, but they're not the same person and I, I, I don't know if you had this, but for me watching it, I didn't feel like I was watching Michael Corleone. I felt like I was watching 90s Al Pacino. Yeah. One thing that sort of stood out, because it's, it's been a while since I've watched a lot of 70s Al Pacino movies. Um, I completely forgot that the rasp wasn't there at all in the 70s. Right. He doesn't. Yeah. Thank you. He doesn't sound the same. He doesn't talk the same. Like, it is jarring that he's a like everything about him is different the mannerisms are different the yeah the the way his voice sounds is different the way he delivers lines like yeah that, he a decade and a half of camel lights and cocaine just wreaks havoc on your vocal cords yeah he also i mean we we did it like we gave him an academy award for shouting and he never looked back so yeah uh but no like that that really stood out and then no it definitely feels like you're watching like proto 90s al pacino in part three yes yeah this is where he's he's but yeah it's just more importantly though it doesn't feel like you're watching michael corleone like this because michael corleone feels like a very 
stoic character that it's all under the surface. Like he's this war hero and he doesn't want to be involved in the family business. And the whole first movie is sort of about the corruption of his soul in this slow burn. You you understand why Sonny doesn't want Michael involved and why he thinks that Michael can't handle this stuff. And then you watching it are like, oh, God, he can handle this stuff. And that's terrible. But like. 90s Al Pacino seems like a guy that would hide a gun in a bathroom and shoot two people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, it is jarring because, yeah, 90s Al Pacino is not the same human being as 70s Al Pacino. Yeah, I just felt like that was worth mentioning because I found it distracting. I also I don't know if it felt like this to you, but weirdly, like tonally. I, I felt like it. this movie felt different than the 70s movies. Like, it felt more 90s. It felt, it honestly kind of felt like a Michael Mann movie to me, where it's, you have these things in the early ones that are kind of, I mean, again, we, we did a whole thing about the, the horse head. There, there are sort of these big moments. You got a guy getting shot through his glasses and the glasses crack. And like, there's definitely some larger than life stuff happens, but I don't think there's any scene in one or two that feels as big and as action movie ish as there's two scenes with Andy Garcia. There's the one where two guys show up in his apartment to kill him. And there's like a standoff and the one guy has a knife and he has a gun to the guy's head. And this is very like action movie standoff. Yeah. And he wins by essentially, well, he shoots the one guy which scares the guy with the knife and then he ends up killing that guy. There's that scene and I can almost like that scene. It feels like it's breaking the tone of the Godfather movies, but I could almost accept it. But then they go bigger than that. And he straight up wears a cop outfit, rides a horse and shoots a guy in the back. And I'm like, that is definitely a different movie than the reality I've been watching. Because like, he's not the one that stabs the dude in the neck with his own glasses, right? No, that's someone else that does that. Is that is someone else. Yeah. Because I think that guy is killed when he does it because he it's like one of the uh, the cardinals that he stabs with his glasses. And then the, right. the security team like shoots that guy when he does it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's like riding a horse in a disguise. Like granted, I mean, you have like De Niro running across rooftops, you know, and he wraps the gun in the towel to kill the guy. But it still feels different to me. Like it, that still feels more grounded in a reality than this sort of bigger, you know, more, I kind of just like flamboyant is the word that comes to mind, you know, sort of disguise, you know, shooting a guy in the back thing that they yeah. do with Garcia. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I, and that's, it, 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 it definitely feels like a bit of a different movie. Yeah. Which again, feels like a Michael Mann movie, which I like a lot of those too. Yeah. So. I love Michael Mann. I think he's great. But it just doesn't feel consistent with the previous Godfather films. Yeah. Uh, Eli Wallach's character's death at the end is hilarious and not at all. Like, it's it's like he's dying in a Zucker Brothers movie. <laughs> Do you want to set it up for everybody? Like the So Eli Wallach, fantastic actor, one of my personal favorites. Um when we inevitably do the holiday this December, uh, he will be the silver lining for his role in that movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and But, like, he was great in the Sergio Leone movies and just great actor. Um, he plays one of the nemeses in, these, in this movie. And Talia Shire's character, Connie uh, Corleone, feeds him a poisoned cannoli. Yep. A and while he's watching the opera, much to his delight, he's loving the opera, he eats the cannoli... And then just has the most fake looking hilarious death that she's watching through a pair of through, through her opera glasses. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like a scene from a Mel Brooks movie. It is. Yeah. You kind of want him to like get up a few times, <laughs> you know, like, like you, you honestly want it to go longer and sillier. Yeah. yeah. No, you expect him to like, they check on him. He gets up. He's okay. And then he slumps back down. <laughs> Then he gets up, he's okay, and he slumps back down again. Um, that is I, part of a, a trio of stupid deaths in this movie. Uh, the second one being uh, Sofia Coppola as Maria Corleone. That's bad. 
The way that she dies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she just like falls to her knees, goes, dad, and then dies. And it's dumb. I, I feel like we need to take a moment because I know that like one of the things I knew about this movie, not having seen it, is that people really don't like Sofia Coppola in this movie. And she does come across like her line delivery feels it's kinda, flat kind of flat and i also just kind of feel like sofia coppola has a look that feels very 90s like she doesn't look like she feels out of sync with the time period i feel like but i want to say all that to say that i love sofia coppola i love mm -hmm. her movies i think she's fantastic i put this on francis ford coppola for putting her in the movie i think especially if you're her father and you're a legendary director. It's you're obligated to, you know, either not use her or make her look good. And like, I just, I don't feel like he did her favors. So like, I don't you know what I mean? I just want to be clear. Like her death is not good. The performance itself doesn't work, but I, I feel like she really gets a lot of hate that I don't really think is fair. Yeah. I like, this movie wouldn't have been substantially better if a better actress played that role. Right. And so that's why I just want to be careful when we talk about it, because like she is someone who has dealt with a lot of really just unfair criticism and is a great director, you know, in her, in her own, own right, in her own right, like legitimately great director. Uh, and if you've never seen Marie Antoinette, watch it. It's really fantastic. But probably skip the blingering, though. <laughs> I've never actually seen the bling ring, so I can't I can't say one way or the other, but I have. OK, you can, you can skip it. All right. Um, but, but yeah, I just wanted to I wanted to get that on the record. But we have one more ridiculous death to. Yeah, to it's Michael Corleone's at the end. It's so fucking stupid. I you know why I don't like it, too, because and I feel like this is where now we're going to call back to the fact that, uh, you know, Coppola wanted to call it the death of Michael Corleone. I feel like part of the reason he wanted to do this is gets into like the Sopranos thing, too. He conceived the ending to make you think that he's going to die on the steps when he's shot. And then he's faking you out so that he can show old man Michael Corleone dying. And it's not a good fake out. It's not a good death. There's nothing like it's it's a bad choice. Yeah, like. I don't know that. He should have died on the steps. That may have been too easy a way out. But I'm saying the movie is leading you to believe that. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. 100% it's building to that. Yeah. But then to just, he's like sitting in the Sicilian villa, an old man, and then just slumps over and dies. Which I think is supposed to be a callback to how uh, we saw Vito Corleone die, but it doesn't, re it doesn't work. Like, it just doesn't feel... You know, because it, it, that's what I got. Because, like, if you look at the first one, you have Vito. He gets shot. He lives. He ends up dying while playing with his grandkids, you know, just right. falling over. So I think that's what they were trying to, like, book in that. But it just it doesn't read well. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and just like their arcs are different because. Like Michael's corruption. Like, it never felt like Vito was getting corrupted. It felt like he was doing what was necessary to survive. Well, also, I mean, what we get from Godfather 2 is that Vito never had a chance. I mean, his entire family is killed and he's hunted from a right. childhood and then he's taken to America. Like, he was, you know, like, that's the difference between them is he was sort of forced into the life to survive while Michael what literally was out like he was a war hero and his family was very willing to keep him out of the business right and he wanted it and like chose it right and he chose it even before Sonny gets killed yeah 100 percent. i mean he chose it when he shot the two guys like in the restaurant i think that's yeah. that's the moment that he you know like that's the point of no return yeah um, so yeah, so like Michael Corleone shouldn't have died of old age. No. And I think more importantly, shouldn't have died alone in old age. Yeah. Well, it's also, then you do it like, because it's just this cut to it and he's alone. We really don't have even enough context to know what that means. Like, right. 
Like, because for all we know, there could be people inside, you know, who find him. Like, it's is he truly alone? Like, is he isolated? It, does he have family nearby? Because it's also weird because he seems to be reconciling uh, with, you know, Diane Keaton, <laughs> like right. uh, at the end of the movie. So you almost get the sense that they're man. You want to talk about someone who's just underused through the whole saga is Diane Keaton. I forget that she's in these movies until I watch them. And then I'm like, oh, right. Because oh, yeah, right. one of the best actresses of the second half of the 20th century. And I think it's you don't remember it because, yes, yeah, she's not given anything to play ever. No, there's like the one scene where she's trying to leave in the first Godfather. Or is that the right. second one? Which we watched them it's all the back to the second one. Yeah. Where she's like trying to leave with the kids. That's yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Those, those are the big ones that I've got. Um, yeah. Oh, no. I have one more thing, and then we can pivot. Because I'm not giving this a pass. I, like, there's this whole arc. Look, I understand Anthony, you know, becomes this singer, and it, you do the thing, and it, it's, I understand the impulse to, like, he, you're gonna have people die while he sings opera. I get all that. But what I can't forgive is the first time they see him sing, and he sings the theme from this movie. <laughs> like... <laughs> He sings the Godfather theme, but with lyrics, you know, I think they're in Italian, I'm guessing, but like they're, but he's, I, I, that is such a, I don't like that. It feels like such a cheesy, like world breaking thing. And it's something we've talked about on the show before when other movies have done things like it. It was one of the James Bond movies that we watched did a really weird thing like that. Yeah. Where it was like a snake charmer was like just. Oh, play- the snake charmer played the da 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't like it. I and don't you like. You could get a, you could come closer to getting away with it in a Bond movie. Well, because Bond movies are cheesy, but this, these right. are supposed to be like prestige dramas and you're having a character sing the Godfather theme, which isn't music that exists outside of these movies. It's just, it, I don't like it. No, I didn't. That that is definitely worth bringing up, and it's cheesy and dumb and bad. Yeah. Okay. But that's all I got. All right. So shall we pivot? Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is a really well made movie, man. Yeah. I mean, look, like that 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 uh the montage of the opera and the murders is great cinema. Yeah. I and let, let's be clear because Coppola didn't want to do this. He didn't want to do Godfather 2 and he made Godfather 2 great and he made this very watchable. And I think that there's something about the fact that a very talented director who, you know, you know, still has to work within the studio system and still has to make movies that the studio wants him to make. It's not like he phones it in. He really makes the best movie possible. And this movie is still good. I don't think there's a version of it that would have worked. Like, I think for all the reasons we said it was the wrong time. It wasn't. I don't think this movie was set up for success just conceptually, but I think yeah. he made a good movie like he's still a great director. Yes. Like it's it's still every scene is beautiful to look at. Like the violence is very well done. The drama is very well done. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Here. Hot take. Francis Ford Coppola. That's our hot take for the month, everybody. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it like straight up. Like all the Coppolas are really talented. Like we are Coppola fans here on the pod. I mean, we have a month devoted to the one who doesn't use his last name, but right, Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for Schwartzman's month. This yeah, <laughs> um, but no, love Nick Cage, love Schwartzman, love Talia Shire, mm-hmm. love Francis Ford, love Sophia. Roman yeah. made Roman made the video for Lump by the presence of the United States of America. That's great. I didn't know that. I also um sorry, I'm blanking. What is Francis Ford Coppola's wife's name? I'm blanking on her name, but uh I mean Heart of Darkness is a fantastic Oh the uh oh god, the documentary about Apocalypse Now is so good. It's better than Apocalypse Now, maybe. I mean that I know people say that. I think Apocalypse Now is one like i think it's his best movie i love apocalypse now so much you're probably right about that the conversation is really great though too yeah eleanor coppola is his eleanor coppola yeah but uh but no they're both great watch them both together because uh and then watch the episode of community that parodies 
yeah heart of darkness but uh no it's she's a great filmmaker you know who made a doc like made a documentary while he was making apocalypse now and they're both they're they really work together they'd be a great double feature to watch apocalypse now the and then watch how bad if everything you have went. 17 hours to spare yeah and also again as we were talking about before there are 37 different versions of apocalypse now to choose from but watch the original the redux is really good though yeah i haven't seen whatever the last one was what the i think it is called the final cut so mm. i don't I, think i've seen that one i've seen the original which is fantastic and i've seen redux and that's great yeah yeah i think it's funny because from what i understand redux added a bunch of footage and then the final cut i think is somewhere in between the original and redux like it that sounds right the only movie that has more cuts is blade runner yeah yeah and they look un like probably possibly unpopular opinion i don't think any of the blade runner cuts are great i'm roy batty's dial uh monologue at the end is amazing the rest of the movie is uh there there's a great idea in blade runner and i think that's why we keep getting different versions because i think everyone believes there's like there's got to be a way to put this together that's going to make it a great movie but it's a great concept with a hand we should do blade runner honestly on this podcast at some point because blade runner would be great to talk about but we'll save that we, we can do a whole month of each do a different cut oh man <laughs> we got we got july planned folks get ready all right <laughs> um yeah uh andy garcia is great in this movie yeah andy garcia who was a big star at the time i just heard an interview with him recently he was on mark maron's podcast where it was like the studio like because obviously everybody wanted the part of this character in the godfather 3 but like paramount really loved him and really was pushing him for the role and yeah i mean andy garcia andy garcia is one of those guys like i'm kind of surprised every time he shows up and everything but he's he's like a very unassuming but great actor like he yeah no i like him in everything like i think he's great in the oceans movies he's really good in this um he's just like the right kind of slimy for lack of a better word yeah yes it also by the way never hit me because again i had seen all the oceans movies but i'd never seen this that it's oceans 13 is about andy garcia trying to rob al pacino's casino <laughs> that's like i never made that connection like that's yep. yeah um but yeah no like i'm sure we're not alone in the fact that you know we avoided watching the third one it's worth watching i think is my ultimate takeaway yeah definitely watch it once because yeah i think we've all if you're our age or, or younger then you've just grown up hearing that it's bad and you've never given it a chance but it's it's definitely worth watching and there's stuff that's good about it uh i mean we haven't talked about it you know what this is a silver lining this should deserve its own silver lining but in that scene where he says, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. If you only know the line and you haven't seen it, Al Pacino is rocking an amazing like Fred Rogers sweater. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's it's truly great. Like it's it's a good look. Um, Joe Montana is really good. Yeah, I actually I want to give a specific shout out because I do think this is its own silver lining. He's great in this movie, but also he has said that he 100 percent thinks that being cast as fat tony in the simpsons which happened a year after this movie came out was directly because they saw him in this and that's what made them think of him so the fact that we got him playing fat tony in the simpsons which is one of the greatest simpsons characters uh in, him and every other simpsons character <laughs> right he's in a, a million way tie with every other ancillary simpsons character but i really truly love fat tony and what's interesting i i saw a thing where he was talking about it and he said he even like the reason that he does the voice for fat tony that he does is because he didn't want to just play the same character that he played in this so he wanted to make him distinct in some way didn't want to just play joey zaza yeah but no i love that this he's great in this and i love that it got him work as uh fat tony also just to tie him and andy garcia together the scene where andy garcia bites off his ear is really jarring and fantastic yeah that's a really that's a truly great scene yeah i mean i think we did it oscar bait month 
we did Oscar bait month and yeah, we, we ended on a note of a movie that like came real close to winning some Oscars for sure. It came closer than the soloist concussion or, uh, Hyde Park on Hudson did. That's for damn sure. Yeah. In that it got nominations, it was eligible to be voted for. So that really is always going to help your chances. That would be what I, if any of our listeners are trying to win Academy Awards and I hope that you are, uh get nominated that's the first yeah, that, step i would say that's step one yeah and that's a a lot of people well, no, no, hold on step two make a movie yeah you gotta be make involved a in the production of a movie yes i assume that's the only reason why i have not won an oscar yet no i'm pretty sure you and i are gonna win oscars someday yeah i think that's a given i feel really good about that but yeah first well first we have to get nominated <laughs> and make second be in a movie <laughs> Be related to the production of a movie, then get nominated. Yeah. And then, then you win the Oscar and yeah. then profit. Yeah, exactly. Because I assume they just give you. I mean, first of all, look, I want to be real on it. I want to win an Oscar because I want to win an Oscar. But I also I want in on those like gift bags that you get. I at want the an Oscars. Oculus Rift. Yeah. For free. Do you th- do you think because I would do this? Do you think like any actors ever just like if you think you went on eBay the day after? The Oscars do would you see a bunch of like Oculus Rifts just like all Los Angeles, California based <laughs> eBay listings of Yes. Yeah, because I would. Do you also see a bunch of them in the dumpster at the governor's ball? <laughs> the people yes. that can't even be bought the people that have so much money and are just like this thing's heavy. So <sighs> look, if you want a few tips, so if you want to win an Oscar, do all that what, that we said. But our second pro tip, dumpster dive. At the governor's ball. At the governor's ball the day after. Because not only are you going to get an Oculus Rift, uh, you're also probably going to get some, some of that leftover food. I'm sure right. they throw that stuff away. Yeah, they're, they're, they're throwing away some, some high caliber pate. And... They hire like Wolfgang Puck and stuff for that, man. Like, that's a good food that's getting thrown in that dumpster. Yeah, you get those uh, minute sandwiches from the airport. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's... There you go. That's a lot of pro tips. That, yeah. So we... we educated you so the other the hidden silver lining of this episode is you got some good lifestyle tips from your influencer buds joel and andy to keep reaching for the stars and keep finding those silver linings martian sci-fi doesn't play in middle america silver linings playback is a production of hobotrashcan.com if you enjoyed the show please rate or review it on apple podcasts Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. How many times has this happened to you? I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why there's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all thanks hobo radio hobo radio a weekly podcast on the peak sloth podcast network